the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I see my name in shiny lights, yeah, a different city every night, oh, I, I swear, the world better prepare for when I'm a billionaire. It's time to get down to business on the weekend's number one business program. Known as the king of networking, your host, Shalom Klein, has worked with thousands of entrepreneurs and created countless jobs. So, to success, let's get down to business. And indeed, we are all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship and business. We talk a lot about business here. You're on with Get Down to Business. I'm your host, Shalom Klein. Remember, you can always download podcasts from Get Down to Business on my website at shalomklein.com. And while you are there, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Shalom Klein. It's going to be a jam-packed week of content and information. You will not want to miss, so let's jump right in. I'm super excited for this conversation. I'm joined by Dr. Eli Joseph, an author, educator, TEDx speaker, currently serves as a faculty member at Columbia University and Queens College, where, by the way, my wife... Uh, earned her, uh, her undergrad and as a partner and medical examiner at Exam One, a Quest Diagnostics company. And I'm super excited about his new book, The Perfect uh, Rejection Resume, A Reader's Guide to Building a Career Through Failure. Eli, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, Shalom. How are you? I'm fantastic. So excited to talk about this. And, uh, you know, our listeners know I'm very passionate about this topic um, because while employers remain laser focused on the great resignation, would-be workers have been facing a wildly different reality, and that's the great rejection. But before we get into that, I want to learn more about you. Eli, how did you become so passionate about this topic? Well, I've been rejected so many times um, over the past, I don't know, five years. Um, even through my undergraduate um, you know, programs at Queens College and my graduate programs at, at Brooklyn College and University, I was always been plagued by rejection. So um, now that I've made on the other side and I've gotten a little bit of success, um, people have assumed that I've got it easy and I got a silver spoon in my mouth. So this is a response to those who say, oh, it must be easy for Eli to do it. Um, you know, he got his doctorate at 24 and it, it's, it's so easy. He had everything handed to him. And this is the complete opposite. And I would like to share the story. And I hope that others share their story as well. Wow. Amazing. And I, I you know, listen, I, hearing your story and, and reading a little bit over the past few days about uh, what you've been through is incredible because again, it's the perfect re- rejection resume, a reader's guide to building career through failure. And it's not just your own stories. And I know you have talked to amazing career trailblazers um, and uh, some, some pretty impressive names. And I know you've got your TED talk where you share quite a bit. So I've got to start from the very beginning. What is your definition of a rejection resume? So we already know the traditional um, resume and what it's all about, but the definition of the rejection resume is a document. It's a one-page or a two-page document that highlights your lowlights. In other words, it basically shows, it, it demonstrates your, you know, the denials, uh, how many organizations and the organization that denied you, rejected you. Um, if you flunked out of school, we can add that into the resume. Um, if you have dropped out, it's also it's also a good add addition as well. Um, it's all the failures that you have you have accumulated 
throughout your career. So that's basically what, what an injection resume is all about. Huh. Wow. That's, uh, I've learned so much. I mean, it, it sounds, sounds, uh, so, so logical, but rejection resume. So I know in your book, you mentioned that time is your biggest competition. Do you mind elaborating on that? When we think of time, um, we're, we're actually approaching the end of the first quarter of the new year. And it just so happened that it, it happened so fast. Just yesterday we were, we were celebrating new year's and, um, all of a sudden it's the end of March. And I think that when we look at time, we have to strategize against time. And we oftentimes say we're competing against ourselves. And I, I always disagree with that notion because, um, you know, rent is due every day. Rent is due every day. And you always have to pay off your goals, which is the landlord. Landlord is always your goals. And I always believe that once you, once you set your, your, your mindset as far as, you know, competing against time, your whole mindset changed and your, your whole framework as far as approaching your goals changed as well. So um, it's a good concept to you. It's just time is always going to be your competition. For sure. And I know, Eli, I know um, you mentioned uh, you certainly have been through quite a bit of rejection on your own. And, um, and you know, in, in thinking about our audience here and Get Down to Business, we've got a lot of different folks. We've got the uh, seasoned professional, I'll call them that, the seasoned professional. But on the flip side, we also have those college students that might be graduating, really nervous. How are they going to get that first job? Everybody's saying, you know, you're perfect, you're perfect. But if only you had a little bit of experience, how do you get that experience? Nobody knows. So I have to ask on that subject because I'm very attuned to this. I have these conversations with college students all the time. What's the most valuable lesson that a college student can learn from their failures? And what would you, advice would you have for them in how to get that experience and get started? Um, well, it's always important to always participate in competitions. Um, you always have to write. Sometimes you may have to work for free. Freelance, work for free, and, sh- and show and prove that you are capable to accomplish what you need to accomplish and um, you know, you're responsible enough. Um, once you give employers that free sample of your work, then you can, you can you know, prepare yourself and, and, and position yourself for a, a job that, that you're desired for. Um, also, boot camps. You know, boot camps, you're just accumulating your skills at this point um, because that's the best way to, to basically gain experience without actually having that work experience. Um, so, you know, when we think of competitions, you know, just as fellowship programs, different internship programs that can get you in the faces of employers. And then, and then you can move on from there. And it's all about, you know, that building block. Take it one day at a time. Um, you won't, as, as far as people trying to achieve that six-figure goal, it may not happen overnight, but, I, but as long as you can accomplish, you know, accumulate your skills over time, it will, you'll eventually get there. Oh, wow. And Eli, um, back over to your story. I know um, you earned a bachelor's at 20, a master's at 21, was named the Forbes Under 30 Scholar at 23. And then you started slacking because you only got your doctorate at 24. Um, so, you, I mean, honestly, uh, there's a lot of inspiration behind behind your story. But what drives you? I understand you're an early riser in the morning. You've taken 10 college courses in one semester. What, what has driven you? And, and, you know, if you don't mind, be, be, be real with our listeners in terms of some of those challenges that I know you write about, about the failure. And uh, how, do we, how do we avoid those pitfalls and speed bumps? I'm always, as far as, you know, going back to the, the theme of, of time being my biggest competitor, I always believe that I don't have much time but I need to accomplish what I need to accomplish and I need to take my time to do so. Um, so what keeps me up at night as far as work, getting work done, um, if I have a task that I need to accomplish, I won't go to sleep until I accomplish that goal. And even if I have to pull out an all-nighter, it's totally fine. 
um, I, as far as you know, trying to move on, move on to the next per, um, next goal. I think success is a moving goalpost, and you have to move along with it. And once you act accordingly and you move along with it, um, you will always you always be dedicated to, to accomplishing your, your goals, and you you always be dedicated to your skill sets and always trying to improve. Um, so, and and once again, I always want to pay off that rent. Um, you know, and I always believe that everyone have their rent and it's rent and rent is due to every single day. And you have to pay off that rent through your utilities, through your, through your effort. Your effort is your biggest currency. So um, I always believe that I need to accomplish what I need to accomplish and I won't go to sleep until I do so. Okay. Awesome. Wow. What a, what an inspiring, inspiring story. And, um, you know, th- there's actually a, a lot of lessons that I'm, I'm picking up and I'm, I speak with folks in transition all the time. But one of the things I always ask whenever I sit down for coffee with somebody uh, in transition is I always say, you know, my friend, what, what's your dream job? What's your dream job? Um, because I, I truly want to know, I want to know how I can help, but you talk about in your book, four reasons why your dream job may always be out of reach. Can we talk about that term dream job? And why do you say that it might be out of reach? Uh, should people continue to dream big or is that, is that crazy talk? No, it's not crazy talk. I think people can, can continue to dream big. However, when you think of your dream job, you know, you may think of an organization that you always wanted to work for. However, you may not be the dream candidate for that job. You may also not be the dream, the dream candidate within the organization. And the organization, the organization may not be the best fit for you. So it's always a two-way street. Um, when we think of a dream job, we're always laser focused. It's a one-way street. We have to focus on our dream job. However, it, you may not be that dream employee. For that, for that um, organization, or that organization may not be the dream employee for uh, the dream employer for you as well. So um, that's one of the reasons why you know your dream job may not be may not be within reach. Um, and once again, your goals are always changing. You know, so you know your dream job yesterday can may not be the dream job today. So you know, once again, it's, it's, it's also important to know that it's a two way street and it, everything has to be reciprocal as well. Absolutely. Again, I've been chatting with the author, the amazing Dr. Eli Joseph, who has written The Perfect Rejection, Resume Reader's Guide to Building Career Through Failure. Literally just came out about a month ago, and uh, there's some great tips, advice for truly everybody tuning in to the program. Eli, I want to give you the final word. How can people get in touch with you and pick up a copy of the book? Um, You can get in touch with me on LinkedIn, Eli Joseph, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, I always keep the same username, which is Dr. Eli Joseph, D-R-E-L-I-J-O-S-E-P-H, straight through. Um, I'm also available on platforms like TikTok and platforms like Clubhouse. Same username, which is Dr. Eli Joseph, D-R-E-L-I-J-O-S-E-P-H. And once again, the book is also available on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble's The Perfect Rejection Resume. And I, I always believe in um, connecting. So um, I look forward to connecting with everyone that's listening on board. And I really appreciate you for having me on Absolutely. Thank you. We'll be back in just a moment here and get down to business. Don't touch that dial. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. I'm looking forward to this conversation with Sandeep Dayal, who's a seasoned marketing and strategy leader at the consulting firm uh, Sorrenti Marketing Group. He serves as a counselor at C-suite executives and board members at global Fortune 500 companies and has helped clients build blockbuster brands and markets spanning the EU, 
Latin America, Asia, and the United States. And importantly, he has written a new book, Branding Between the Ears, Using Cognitive Science to Build Lasting Consumer Connections. Sandeep, welcome to the program. Well, thank you for having me. Oh, it's an honor. So, uh, Sandeep, I'd love to get to know the person behind the microphone. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about you and how you became so passionate about this topic of uh, branding, but specifically using cognitive science? Absolutely. Delighted to. So, yeah, so I've, you know, most of my life, in my career, I've been doing consulting for various companies, starting early on with a company called Booz, and then moving on to another company called McKinsey, and then finally setting up my own shop, which is uh, Sorrenti. Um, and most of my passion throughout this time frame has been in working with, um, in, in doing work that's marketing related. And the reason for that always has been that I just love, uh, I just love sort of uh, understanding how people behave, how their minds work and so on. So this whole connection to consumers is, has something that has always fascinated me and been important. And branding is obviously a big part of what um, marketing is. It's, in fact, I would argue that it's the biggest thing in marketing, right? I mean, when you look at a cup of coffee um, without the Starbucks logo on it, it's just a cup of coffee. So, you know, the brand piece is worth billions of dollars. And it's fascinating how our minds, as human beings, how our minds respond to the whole idea of, of brand. So it's just something that has, for the last 15 years or 20 years for me, has been a big source, a big passion for me to really get deep inside uh, understanding this whole area and understanding consumers even better than I've ever understood. Ah, fascinating. Absolutely. So when we talk about the old way of doing branding, what is that? And, uh, and essentially, how are cognitive brands different? Right. So that's a great question. So the simplest way to think about it is that historically, we have pretty much done branding uh, we have equated branding with this whole idea of product differentiation, which means that we look at, you know, I got a product X and then somebody else, my competition has product Y and product Z and so on. And I just look at, look, how is my product different from their product, right? And then I make a list of those differences and then I go ahead and say, hey, my brand is about these three things which are different from everybody else. And that's what it has been. And the problem with that approach is that our human mind doesn't really do well with lists. We don't remember lists. Our minds are not designed to do that. And you can see that in your own experience. You know, your, your spouse might tell you to go to the grocery store and buy five things. And unless you write them down, by the time you get there, you're not going to remember them, even though they're just five things. And so that's because we're not designed to remember lists. So now what these cognitive brands are, they understand really how the human mind works. What are the kinds of things that register in our memories? What are the kinds of things that we tend to notice? What are the kinds of things that happen to our memories and fantasies and things like that? And when you understand those things better, you design your brands not around lists of benefits, but around those um, the keys to tapping into those types of experiences, if you will. So that's what a cognitive brand is. Very simply, it works because it works the way your brain does. Absolutely. I'm chatting with the author of a brand new book uh, called Branding Between the Ears, Using Cognitive Science to Building Lasting Consumer Connections. And again, I'm chatting with Sandeep Dayal, a very, very interesting conversation about cognitive branding. So Sandeep, I have to ask, in this day and age, and uh, both with uh, the market out there, as well as just 
in general, call it attention spans. The reality is that we're all being bombarded with messaging, um, lots and lots of communication, and everybody has their phones on them. How can you say that consumer attention spans are not getting shorter? And, and is there really a need to focus on this whole cognitive science thing that you talk about in your book? Short answer, yes. You have to focus on exactly that. And the reason is that um, when we think about, when we think about um, our own minds, there is a conscious mind and there is a subconscious mind. And we are looking at in cognitive branding, both the ability to do things consciously and do things subconsciously. So when we talk about attention spans, we're really talking about those conscious attention spans, which people believe are getting shorter. But really the attention spans we should be focusing on are the subconscious attention spans that people have. And those are as long as ever. Now think about this. When you go to a movie, right, you can sit through a two hour movie and completely understand the story and come back and tell your friend about it. So there's no problem with attention spans. We are capable of remembering things for days, for months, and so on. And when, But the real issue is, is it really worthwhile to remember something that is being said to you, right? So the brands have an uphill task in terms of making sure that what they have to say is a good storyline, that it's a storyline that gets noticed and so on. But if you are able to do that, which is your job as a marketer, then there is absolutely no problem with attention spans and attention spans can be very long. Oh, so true. And I love that analogy about a movie. My only challenge is sometimes staying awake through the movie, but you're right about the attention span. That's for sure. So um, most people are saying that in this world's uh, increasing competition technology, which we've been talking about, consumers have more power. But you're saying that it's actually marketers that have increasing power given this knowledge that we've been talking about, about how consumers' brains work. And you certainly understand it better than anybody. So I am curious about the ethical implications and how marketers should behave. How can they use that, that sort of that knowledge and uh, that information that, uh, that they slash you have? And that's a fantastic question. And, you know, um, the first thing that marketers have to do is to do exactly what you did, which is to ask that question, right? So it is true, yes, we are learning a lot more about the brain. And so we know how people's subconscious minds work, right? So we, can, we have that ability as marketers to start manipulating people more and more. And as we learn even more about the brain, we, that ability grows. So yes, in that sense, marketers have all this awesome power now, but... The real question to ask is just, you know, if, just because you have the power doesn't mean that you should use it, right? That is, that is the balance that people have to strike. And my advice to marketers is to do what you did, which is, you know, whenever you're about to do something, ask that question, is this the right thing to do? And in the book, I have a chapter which is called Minding Your Manners, which is really the chapter on ethics. It talks about, you know, three things that you should do. You should ask the canonical question, which is, you know, should I, you know, is, is this something that if somebody did this to me, would I like it, right? So that's the canonical, uh, canonical principle. The second principle is if you started doing something and everybody replicated what you're doing, then would that be a good thing for society? And then the last question is if what you're doing appeared on the first page of the New York Times, would you be embarrassed? So, you know, if any answer to the yes, if the answer is the yes to any of those questions, then you shouldn't be doing whatever you, it is you're thinking of doing. So ethics is should be top of mind for every marketer. Sure. Again, I'm chatting with Sandeep Dayal. Uh, fascinating read branding between the years using cognitive science building lasting to build lasting consumer connections. It came out in late 
November 2021. And in a moment, we're going to send people there. But Sandeep, I love to leave our listeners with a little homework assignment, and especially realizing that many of our listeners are small business owners, entrepreneurs. They may be saying that many of the uh, bits of advice that they heard from you, Sandeep, are uh, relevant to large companies. Is this, are all these principles, is this information true for small companies as well? And what would you recommend they doing, they start doing in the week ahead? Oh, absolutely. So the answer is, again, this is very important for small business owners, because whether you're small, whether you're opening, you know, even if you just operate a lemonade stand, you still have a name, you still have a brand. So it is very important. The difference between small and large companies is that in a small company, the owner of the company does most of most of the work. So the owner of the company is the marketer, he's the brand manager, and he's the general manager and the janitor and everything. So This book is designed for people like that to be able to read the book and have some easy examples and easy frameworks and be able to apply to their businesses. Just remember one thing. This book is all about how the human mind works. And the human mind is a human mind. We don't have a different brain for small businesses and a different brain for large businesses. It's the same brain. It works the same way. So very much so, the ideas and the principles and the frameworks and the examples in this book are relevant to anyone that has awesome well let's make sure we get our listeners in touch with you and your book how can people learn more uh and pick up a copy well the book is called branding between the years and it's available online everywhere amazon walmart and all those places and the second thing people can do is to go to my author website which is sandeepdayal.com and sign up for my blog Fantastic. S-A-N-D-E-E-P-D-A-Y-A-L.com. A great blog, a great book, lots of great advice. And I look forward to having you back real soon. Sandeep Dayal, thank you so much for joining us and sharing this information on branding. Got to squeeze in a very quick break here and get down to business. We'll be right back. Don't touch that dial. knows a thing or two about. He helps small business owners each and every day find the most affordable, the most effective health insurance plan for their business and their family. You should call Tom Marabali and uh, visit his website, healthplanchicago.com, healthplanchicago.com. Again, his name is Tom Marabali, great friend of the program, and he's at 630-863-3477, 630-863-3477. Website again is healthplanchicago.com. But as a small business owner, no doubt you are thinking of these next few days in anticipation. That's because it is the end of Q1 of 2022. For business owners, the start of the new year, um, uh, it welcomes that first quarter in strategy planning. And now we are coming to a conclusion at the end of that, uh, of that period. It's imperative business owners to be prepared as we grapple with continued supply chain issues, labor shortages prompted by that great resignation. And you need to make sure that those strategies that you've set as a New Year's resolution for the year ahead can help and make sure that you are being prepared, even if you're thrown by yet another crisis-inspired curveball. For example, There's an opportunity if you're an independent retailer to benefit from bigger firm supply chain struggles. Small furniture stores are seeing surges in business from customers 
want to avoid delivery delays at big companies. So I wanted to share some five, some five tips that I would recommend as we close out Q1 of 2022, um, that you can set yourself up for success. Build an e-commerce platform, whether you're starting a new business, setting up your very first e-commerce site, or expanding your services through new channels. Now is the time to reach your customers when they're spending most of their time online. Not all platforms are designed for every entrepreneur, so it's key to find the one or maybe the ones, plural, that fulfill your needs and caters to your audience. For example, the retailer site Shopify offers entrepreneurs very different services than Patreon or YouTube. Um, and in fact, I've, uh, I've seen some really interesting platforms um, that you can choose from and I would recommend um, that you go on my website, shalomkline.com. That's where you can uh, see my blog where I post all about these different platforms that are available. For many business owners, Instagram can be a lucrative selling platform, but it takes outside apps to make content on the social media site pop with special filters, graphics, and fonts. So you want to take good photos of your products. Um, uh, Again, I asked many entrepreneurs that frequently tune in to get down to business, which apps and programs help them create and craft those perfect posts from editing pictures, scheduling content ahead of time. And I share that information on my website, shalomkline.com. Um, customers may not easily find the exact items they want to purchase. This is an important time for business service to shine with stellar customer service. So yes, my advice to you, advice piece number three is to focus on many forms of customer service. You might want to look at how you can really reach customers in the way that they need the support. And there's a lot of great technology platforms that are available, um, including chat, including some proactive solutions um, that I want to share with you. Uh, So make sure, again, you're visiting my website to learn more. And considering, uh, you should start considering you're selling your goods via live stream. If you haven't yet experienced with live stream shopping, now is a good time to start. Virtual events can engage customers and incentivize them to shop online. Um, And this is coming from entrepreneurs who host them. Experts say that live streams are the malls of the future where people go to shop, socialize, and be entertained. Retailers who use live streaming typically broadcast from three to eight hours. That sounds like a long time. And most are making between $1,000 to $9,000 per event. So you don't want to miss out on that opportunity. The last bit of advice that I have for you is to manage burnout by accepting failure. While exercise, sleep, and spending time with loved ones can combat burnout, entrepreneurs should also protect their mental health by accepting failure. About 20% of new businesses fail during the first two years, according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. So you shouldn't blame yourself or criticize yourself. And this is coming from a friend of mine who's a psychiatrist and an executive coach for business owners. The middle ground between success and failure is we did our best and our customers actually appreciate that we did it at our best. So hopefully you found that information helpful. Again, check out my social media pages um, at Shalom Klein, uh, my website, shalomkline.com. All this uh, advice, tips, information as we come to a conclusion of Q1 2022. I can't believe it. We're already deep into this uh, new year and now is time to make sure that your strategies, the new, those New Year's resolutions that you've set for yourself are working. As I've been sharing over these past few weeks on Get Down to Business, um, I do want to give a plug for an organization, actually for an agency that I'm very involved in, and that's the uh, Department of Defense's Employer Support of the Guard and Reserve. For so many uh, employers that are being so generous um, with uh, their service members that are employed um, uh, and, and serving around the globe in the National Guard, the Army Reserve, 
um, be sure uh, that, uh, that you're getting on the website on esgr.mil where you can actually uh, sign a statement of support. Some great recognition for your company. Um, for doing the right thing and for supporting service members and supporting the country. And if you want to volunteer and get involved in the organization, again, that website is esgr.mil. We've got our fantastic, uh, vibrant Illinois organization, organizations around the country as well. So visit esgr.mil for those volunteer opportunities and for you to sign a statement of support. And again, check out our sponsors, Tom Marabali from healthplanchicago.com, healthplanchicago.com, my website again, shalomkline.com. Got more advice, tips, and information after this quick break. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Get Down to Business. I the president of the Illinois Manufacturing Excellence Center, uh, David Boulay, uh, who's author, who's also rather the uh, the author um, of a fantastic book, Made in Illinois: A Modern Playbook for Manufacturers to Compete and Win. It's hit number one in many Amazon bestseller categories. So, David, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, it's it's fun to have you. So, I love to get to know the person behind the microphone. I know you are passionate about uh, manufacturing. You're passionate about Illinois. And um, so tell us a little bit about you and what inspired you to, uh, to uh, I guess, to work the hours that you do and have the impact that you have, including the book. Sure. Uh, it, it, it really starts in my roots and my family. I grew up in a, a family-owned business, about uh, 25 employees actually in farm machinery uh, uh, selling or a dealership. Uh, so I really learned that entrepreneurial spirit of, of uh, family-owned businesses had great opportunities with uh, large manufacturers, particularly in the food industry. I got to learn uh, so much about the manufacturing world itself. And it's really those two pieces that that come together uh, those experiences that that do bring the passion in, in what we're about in our mission. Absolutely, no, that's that's awesome. So, um, IMEC uh, again, Illinois Manufacturing Excellence Center. So, I hear that you are celebrating your 25th anniversary. And again, to be clear, that's IMEC's the anniversary. Can you tell us um, and tell our listeners what the mission and goal of IMEC is, and give us a, a brief history? How did Illinois develop that rich manufacturing tradition? Sure. Uh, so our, our core purpose is about economic and workforce competitiveness here in uh, Illinois. And we, we do this by uh, providing manufacturers uh, the technical assistance, the resources, the best practices uh, that they need to be more globally competitive. And as a, as a consequence as well, to uh, create better uh, ac- economic opportunity for uh, their workforce. We're actually part of a, a program that comes out of uh, U.S. Department of Commerce. It's called Manufacturing Extension Partnership or, or MEP for short. So we're one of 51 centers across each of the states and Puerto Rico with this policy decision to support uh, particularly our, our small and mid-sized manufacturers to be uh, competitive. It's because of that policy choice uh, that we are indeed celebrating uh, uh, 25 years of, of our, our history. Uh, and it's interesting to look back uh, uh, that first year where we did work in uh, technology systems uh, such as ERP systems for manufacturers uh, and also quality systems. Uh, we're still working with those companies today, but the the whole purpose and our mission has changed so much uh, that the idea of globally competitive uh, has taken new meaning. You know, 25 years ago, we weren't talking uh, cybersecurity. We weren't necessarily talking about skills gap. We weren't talking about supply chain disruptions uh, like like we are today. 
Absolutely. And uh, David, I know that you are uh, Mr. Illinois, Mr. Manufacturing, and uh, you sit on uh, many boards, uh, committees involved in many, many different areas, which is uh, just so important. So the the theme, Made in Illinois, it's actually our listeners can't see it, but as we're recording this, you've got big Made in Illinois. What's that impetus behind that tagline? And um, and and how are you turning that uh, that tagline into a reality? Yeah, you know, we're we're the the tagline itself. Even to start with that, that uh, Illinois has such a rich uh, manufacturing tradition that we are a manufacturing powerhouse by any any measure that you want to look at, whether it be output, employment, or that we have well over twelve thousand five hundred manufacturers. Our, our manufacturers are, are truly standing at a, a crossroads moment uh, as we navigate out of the pandemic. You know, this this past year uh, has carried us in so many directions, uh, and these these industry challenges uh, that that we face as we come out of the pandemic are also challenges that we faced prior to the pandemic. So, U.S. manufacturing productivity has has been in uh, declining growth. Uh, we're facing some skills gaps challenges. So when the pandemic hit, uh, like everybody else, for our organization, it was all hands on deck, ways that we help uh, uh, ensure our team's health and safety, but also to help the manufacturers respond and work through it. And as we worked through this this uh, process and, and making sure that we had the tools and resources for the manufacturers, things such as a helpline recovery guide, we quickly realized that we had pulled together uh, a tremendous amount of content on best practices and plays to help manufacturers really reset, rebound, and, and reinvent for the post-pandemic uh, recovery. Uh, and so it was through this massive content, through the lessons learned uh, through this team and our partners and our board and the manufacturers, uh, and we felt it was a responsibility to bring this all together in this book, uh, really as a playbook. Absolutely. And we're going to squeeze in a quick break in just a moment. But um, the book features interviews from several Illinois companies. How are you able to select the companies for that book when there are so much uh, out there of, again, behind that tagline of Made in Illinois, so many fantastic companies that both you and I are familiar with? Yeah. Uh, and that was an impossible task, to be honest. There are so many great stories, uh, so many great manufacturers out there. Uh, what we did look for and, and what comes in this book are some of what I'll call some examples of the pace setters, uh, companies that, that we know have uh, best practices in the areas that, that we interview them for. And we wanted to make sure that we had a blend of size, sector, location so the readers could really associate with with uh, the manufacturers themselves so it's kind of a, a selection of of what i i see is just so many great stories of, of manufacturing uh, expertise and tradition and trying to narrow that down into a, a small group that was a tough task to be sure i'm sure of it and uh, again some of those illinois-based companies are motorola watchfire signs uh, fn smith corporation gnw electric header dine tool uh, GAM Enterprise and Ace Metalcraft, among many, many others. And the topics include the value of customer relationships, defining excellence, and integrating technology for greater process innovation. So we're going to continue that conversation again with our amazing guest, David Boulay from the Illinois Manufacturing Excellence Center. When we return in just a moment, you listen to Get Down to Business. Don't touch the Welcome back. I'm chatting with 
the president of the Illinois Manufacturing Excellence Center and uh, author of the book Made in Illinois Modern Playbook for manufacturers to compete and win. And we've uh, we've been talking with David about some of the uh, insights from the book, some of the interviews that have been conducted with so many amazing, amazing uh, leaders uh, across Illinois. Um, so, David, you know, important question is, what do you see as the future of manufacturing in the country overall? And I, I noted that we are at a, at a crossroads moment. I think there's there's plenty uh, for us to work through as, as manufacturing, and we're feeling it particularly today in, in uh, supply chain disruptions, uh, workforce challenges. Uh, but uh, definitely an optimist in all of this. Uh, manufacturing uh, has also uh, shown in crossroads moments how uh, they bring uh, outstanding leadership, innovation, and reinvention. We've seen it uh, through history. So if our past is a predictor of our future, I think the future of Illinois manufacturing, the future of U.S. manufacturing is, is uh, very bright. It's going to be different. You know, we're going to be different uh, in the skills that we need, the way that we integrate technology, the way we think about and operate supply chains. But that U.S. manufacturing remains as a global leader, uh, that Illinois manufacturers will remain front and center of that. I see a, a very positive future as we uh, get through some of these uh, uh, pandemic bumps and bruises here and, and focus on that reinvention. Absolutely. And and you mentioned this in your book, and I don't want to give away all of the secrets because we do want people to pick up the copy and get in touch with you and your team of 50 plus, which is, again, making the difference throughout Illinois. But in your conversations, in your interviews, uh, I know you've uh, picked up on some themes which are relevant uh, to our listeners, wherever they may be tuning in. There are three elements that you say that lead to business success, people, performance, and mindset. Can you talk a little bit about that in our brief minute or two that we have remaining? Yeah, the, the idea that key drivers of any organization, leaders drive strategy to serve customers, the workforce applies the knowledge and skills to produce effective and efficient operations to serve that strategy of customer. The shorthand of all of that, people, performance, and mindset, and that the people uh, extended, not just the, the employees in the, the facility, but the supply chain as well, and looking at the com- customers, that extended enterprise, the operational excellence, the integration of technology, the resiliency, that, that all of that is around the performance. And then the leader's mindset, uh, the, that role to set direction, to inspire, to bring the agility, Pulling all that together, that is the uh, secret sauce of uh, being globally competitive. And that's really what this book uh, plays out. Absolutely. Well, uh, David Boulay, thank you so much for joining us. You've been a pleasure. And I want to make sure, again, our listeners know where they can get in touch with you and your team. Pick up a copy of the book. Um, can uh, Can you share with us how we can get a hold of you? Sure. Uh, so our, our website, imec.org, so imec.org, a uh, quick way to, to get a hold of us. Uh, the book is also can get you uh, through that uh, website as well as on Amazon. Absolutely. And it's, again, that theme of Made in Illinois. Um, so uh, definitely uh, so, so, so important. And I have to ask, David, um, just in closing, uh, with your competitive uh, attitude and, and fighting for Illinois. And I know that uh, you you spread your time throughout the beautiful state that is Illinois. That is Illinois. Have you found um, commonality and uh, ways to collaborate with any of our neighboring states as well? Well, great, great question. Uh, manufacturing is all about supply chain and logistics. And so when you start talking about a manufacturer being competitive here, 
their suppliers, uh, whatever state it is, uh, they need to be competitive as well because we're part of a national network. Uh, it really is about uh, the, the United States being globally competitive. Uh, obviously, yes, I'm rooting for our, our home team here in Illinois, but we do work very closely with our partners in uh, the other states and make sure that we uh, remain competitive everywhere. And that's the beauty of IMAC, and uh, certainly that's why the book is, again, a modern playbook, because certainly that uh, collaboration and cooperation, which is something we talk about all the time on this show in business. So uh, definitely be sure. Uh, we'll link to uh, to David and IMAC on our website, shalomfund.com. That's where also where all of the podcasts from the show, all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship are. To success, let's get down to business. We'll talk to you next Sunday at 6 p.m. right here on 560 The Answer. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.